Good morning and welcome to another mini Monday episode of Crime Over Coffee. I'm your editor, Bryce, filling in for Abby today. And I'm your host, Erica. Today, I'm going to be telling you guys a story about the disappearance of Alyssa Turney. So pour yourselves a strong cup of joe and let's dive in. So some of you who know the case might be wondering why we are covering this on a mini because there is so much information, but we felt that we wouldn't be able to do this case justice if we tried to cover it as a full because Alyssa's own sister, Sarah Turney, has an amazing podcast called Voices for Justice that currently focuses on only telling Alyssa's story. So we're going to give a very brief overview of her case, but if you want to know more details and see Sarah actually investigating the case herself, go check out her podcast called Voices for Justice on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Alyssa Turney went missing on May 17th, 2001 from Phoenix, Arizona at the age of 17 years old. She was last seen on May 17th, which was her last day of junior year. So her stepdad, Michael Turney, had said that he had took Alyssa out of school early that day to take her to lunch. But apparently during lunch, Alyssa was asking him for more privileges and they got into some argument about it. And then when they got home, she apparently went straight to her room and just like shut the door because she was so pissed at him. Around one o'clock in the afternoon is when Michael left to go run some errands. And then he was going to pick up Alyssa's younger sister, Sarah, from school to bring her home. He did try to call Alyssa while he was gone, but she didn't answer. Sarah never ended up getting picked up at school by Michael, and she ended up having to walk to a friend's house in order to wait for him. Why didn't he show up? Not 100% sure what was going on. For whatever reason, he wasn't able to pick her up, and then he ended up going to her friend's house to pick her up. So is this his account of the story coming from him? or yes. Okay. And from Sarah saying that he wasn't able to pick her up. So we're taking this for part of a grain of salt because it's a one person story about how they remember it and probably how they want to tell it. Absolutely take this story with a grain of salt. Everything that Michael says. It was around 5 p.m. that night when Michael returned home and when they got home he had Sarah with her and he had Sarah go to Alyssa's bedroom to check on her. They ended up finding a note that was supposedly written by Alyssa saying that she had ran away to California. The note itself said quote dad and Sarah When you dropped me off at school today, I decided I really am going to California. Sarah, you said you really wanted me gone. Now you have it. Dad, I took $300 from you. That's why I saved my money. End quote. What? That last part doesn't really make any sense. I I don't know at all. Well, I'm already very suspicious of, of the stepdad. Another thought I'm having is where's the mother? Where is she involved in all of this? Two things. So to address the statement about the last part not making any sense, she had saved about $1,800 and it was all in her bank account. So there was some money she had saved. So I'm wondering if it was $300 on top of the $1,800 that she's referring to. But it's like that doesn't make sense as a reason. It's like I stole your money and I saved my money, but not I stole your money because I saved my money. But whatever. I'm not sure. As for her mother, her mother did pass away when Alyssa was eight years old. And at the time, her mother was in a relationship and I believe married to Michael and Michael ended up adopting Alyssa once her mother had passed away. Okay. What about biological father? He's just nowhere in the story, really. I have, I don't really know much about biological father. 
I know that he was still alive at the time. And I know that Sarah talks about their biological father on her podcast, Voices for Justice. But I, I don't know a whole lot about it. Okay. Like I said, I'm just trying to give the brief overview. I did not do a ton of digging on this episode. So that night on May 17th, Michael called and reported Alyssa as a runaway. Initially, the case was treated as a runaway, which we see that with anybody under the age of 18 or even really any age. They typically treat the case right away as a runaway. You said it was her last day of school. What year of school was it? Junior year. Junior year. So she probably wasn't 18 yet. You said she was 17. 17. Okay. So they believed that she had just run away and was in California or still in Phoenix. The California part kind of comes from not only the letter that she left, but also they have family that lived in California. I believe it was her aunt lived in California, so it wasn't that far out there. And Alyssa had talked about going to California many times in the past. This was pretty quickly ruled out, and they started to do some more investigation and decided that there was some foul play involved. Hmm. Wonder why. Well, I'm going to tell you why they started to think foul play. So one part was there's $1,800 in her bank account. Like I said, she'd saved up and hadn't been touched. Okay. And if she was running away to California, you'd think that she would have taken some of that $1,800. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously she had, you know, at least the $300 on her probably in cash. I'm assuming it was in a savings account and that's not something you can like just withdraw with like a, well, I guess you can withdraw from savings accounts with a debit card at ATMs now, can't you? Mm -hmm. Okay. But she hadn't done any withdrawals during her? Okay. There were no withdrawals. The other thing that was kind of concerning was she had left all of her stuff at home. Makeup, hairbrush, clothing. Didn't really pack anything? She didn't take anything with her. Even though she probably had some time. Yes. Because Michael left the house around 1 o'clock and returned home around 5. So she would have had about four hours to prepare and to pack up her stuff before she left. The other concern was that none of her friends or family heard from her at all. Michael came forward about a week later and said that he had received a phone call from Alyssa from a payphone in California. But she quickly hung up the phone. Hmm. Okay. Sure. So other than this supposed call to Michael, there was no communication from Alyssa to any of her friends, her sister, or anybody. Pretty quickly, which Bryce, I know you already said you were suspicious of, but the main suspect became her stepfather, Michael. Right. I mean, just from the first two minutes of his account of the story, there's already two or three pretty apparent holes in the story. Yes. Then come in statements from friends and family talking about the kind of parent Michael was, specifically with Alyssa. So he was super lenient with the younger one, Sarah, and super controlling of Alyssa. He constantly would search all of her belongings, her room, everything. He monitored all of her phone conversations. And when she would go to work at a restaurant, he would sit outside the restaurant while she was working. The whole shift. I don't know if it was the entire shift, but for good parts of the shift, yes. Hmm. Police had kind of started looking into Michael. Like I said, he was their main suspect. And they ended up finding these contracts that Michael had wrote and made Alyssa sign agreeing to do certain things and a psychiatrist looked through it and said that it was Michael showing an absolute need for control and dominance of Alyssa for whatever reason. Do we have any idea what some of these were about? I don't know what the exact contracts were no. I'm assuming it was you know like that she he would monitor her phone conversations and that he would have to know where she was at all times type of things like that. 
that's weird though because what are you going to do if she violates a written contract with your own kid like take it to a court and then they realize how crazy these contracts are like that seems weird i think he found a different way to take care of her breaking a contract probably why she may or may not have left michael also had surveillance cameras set up inside the family home and on the outside so where is the footage of her leaving so conveniently of course he took care of reviewing the eight hours of footage and refused to turn it into the police and said there was nothing suspicious on these. That's not how evidence works, though. Like, and then the tapes just disappeared. Oh, so they couldn't seize it. Mm-hmm. Great. He also would monitor all phone calls that were in and out, like in the house or on any of their phones, and they were just automatically recorded. So he had everything recorded. But because, you know, it works in his favor, the phone recording system wasn't operating the day that Alyssa called him from California on that payphone after her disappearance. Okay. I mean, at this point, it's like case closed to me. But not to the police. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. Michael would refuse to take a polygraph or even sit down with the police for an interview, but he did talk to them through fax, email, and phone. He'd kind of give them some information. But at what point are they able to just subpoena you into court? They need some sort of physical evidence, and they didn't have that. All they had was circumstantial evidence. Yeah, it is circumstantial. They didn't really have anything hardcore that they could just be like, this is it. This is the proof that you did something to Alyssa. A lot of people came forward as well during the investigation and would talk to police about how Michael had sexually abused her and physically abused her while she was living there. She always told her friends and family about him gagging her and handcuffing her and all these horrific things that he would do. But he always denied the accusations and was like, I I love her. I would never harm her. Even a year before her disappearance, Michael ended up calling Child Protective Services and told them, if Alyssa ever files a child molestation complaint against me, it's not true. She's lying. Wow. I feel like that's interesting. And he claimed that the cameras and like the phone call recording and stuff was just for security reasons, but not so that he could spy on his kids. Take that how you want. In December of 2008, so that would be almost 12 years ago and seven years after her disappearance, police finally executed a search warrant on the house that Alyssa had lived in. And then apparently during this time, her family had moved across the street to a different house. So they had a search warrant for both houses and they were looking for any sort of evidence. This is when they start looking for the videotapes of the surveillance cameras. And there's tons of surveillance cameras specifically of Alyssa dating back to the 1980s but there was not a single one from the day that she disappeared they just magically disappeared what year did this take place in 2001 and the investigation of the houses in 2008 yeah initially I was thinking how easy it might be to dispose of security footage because nowadays almost all of it is recorded to the cloud or recorded to like a hard drive or something and that's just files you can delete and if you really wanted to just destroy the hard drive but back then a lot of that stuff was 
recorded to tape or like VHS or things like that. So chances are if you have had security cameras for a long time, you have a pretty extensive archive of tapes if you want to keep all of it. So it's a little bit harder to actually get rid of unless you're like taking it somewhere or burning it, destroying it, whatever. And I'm assuming something like that happened. They found something a little bit more interesting during their search, though, other than the lack of videotapes. They ended up finding 19 high-caliber assault rifles, two handmade silencers, a van filled with gasoline cans, and 26 handmade explosive devices filled with gunpowder and roofing nails. Well, that's enough to get the ATF on your doorstep, and that just has federal crime written all over it. Oh, yeah. So this was apparently the largest amount of explosives that the Phoenix Police Department had ever found at one house in the history of ever. And that's a pretty large city. Yeah. So he was arrested for this, obviously, and he ended up going to prison. So this was in 2008. He was released from prison in 2017. During an interview that he did with the media after he had been arrested, he said that the bombs weren't his and the police had planted them in his house. Okay, so now I'm just thinking about motivation for that because if they're concerned with getting some sort of evidence on his property to, you know, subpoena him to court or to get him, you know, at least in a position where they can actually talk to him or interrogate him, that's not the type of evidence that has anything to do with what he may or may not have done to his stepdaughter correct so that doesn't make sense as far as like a motivation standpoint yeah i don't see the motivation either behind it but for whatever reason that was his excuse he said that he had planned to take his own life in order to bring attention to Alyssa's case with pounds and pounds of bombs yes and gasoline yes and assault rifles and silencers yes he had it all kind of planned out but it seems like a lot to take your own life i feel like well, it's in case he missed the first 38 times. I guess that's fair. In 2017, when Michael was released from prison, Sarah met with him to kind of discuss Alyssa's disappearance. How old was she at this time? Sarah was about 28 years old in 2017 when she met with Michael to discuss the case. So when she met with him, she asked Michael a bunch of questions about Alyssa's disappearance, trying to figure out what he knew, because in theory, he was the last person to see her. And he told Sarah that he would only give her honest answers if he was on his deathbed or if the state would agree to execute him. Okay, so that sounds just like our friendly neighborhood Israel Keys. Don't you think so? Also, why else would you just say that? Like, I don't know that I'd call him neighborly or friendly and no, not because he's dead, but because he, you know, killed people. Right. But Michael here is not making it look good for himself. So she confronted him already with the mentality of there's something he's not telling. Oh, yeah. Sarah has 100% believed from day one that Michael had something to do with Alyssa and that he murdered Alyssa. And his first response to a formal sit down about it is, I'm only going to tell you if I'm guaranteed to die. Yes. Which this is after he had just served almost 10 years in prison. So I'm sure he just didn't want to go back. Okay. So how does the story develop from there? Because that's really interesting. That's what the Voices for Justice podcast is about. That this entire thing, Sarah solely focuses on bringing justice to Alyssa's case and having her stepfather Michael arrested for Alyssa's murder. Sarah has said once she brings enough light to Alyssa's case and once she starts to see some things happening there, she plans on covering other cases as well that need light brought to them. But I have some really, really, really great news. 
with Sarah's efforts and constant push on the police department to constantly be investigating this and looking into Michael and doing everything that they can to find evidence against him, he was finally arrested almost 20 years later on August 20th, 2020. So just a few days ago. Yeah, wow. And he was charged with the murder of Alyssa Turney. So there's a lot of information in there and a lot of details that we haven't gone over in. Oh, absolutely. I, I really want to go listen to that myself, actually, because that's for her own little sister to sing, almost single-handedly handle that is, is really cool. Yeah, she never wanted the case to really go cold. So she spent most of her life just working on bringing justice to the case. It looks like there is like 27 episodes so far that she's done, and she just started it last year. And I know that she interviews michael in some of them and she interviews her brothers and she interviews all kinds of people regarding Alyssa's case so absolutely she tells you more details than i could ever get into i mean she was there for this and she's been working on this case for 20 years almost i absolutely recommend checking out her podcast but things like this is why we do the podcast Alyssa kept bringing light and bringing up the case over and over and over again so that there was awareness about it and so that the police were still still investigating it. So we do the podcast because we want to make sure that people are hearing about some of these cases that are kind of swept under the rug or not necessarily talked about enough. And we hope that we'll see some of the cases that we've covered end up being solved, even if it is 20 years after it happened. Yeah, and even though we're not a very large podcast yet we've just recently hit our one-year anniversary and we were about to hit 90,000 plays total that's a lot of plays on our episodes of information getting out there and I mean we have plays all over the country and even out of the country so that that's at least a good feeling to us knowing that you know hopefully we're at least doing some good this other podcast would be one of our first official recommendations of another podcast to go check out um, if you want more information on it I personally thought this was really interesting and I want to go listen to it myself Yes. So Sarah Turney, which Alyssa's sister, posted on social media the day that Michael was arrested saying, quote, I'm shaking and I'm crying. We did it. He's been arrested. Never give up hope that you can get justice. It took almost 20 years, but we did it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.